Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sales Leadership Awakening podcast, where we tackle the age-old issue of bridging the knowing and doing gap in the sales leadership realm. I'm Colleen Stanley, and joining me today is my partner, Stephen Rosen. So, Stephen, how are you this morning, this afternoon? Uh, great, Colleen. So nice to see you, and I'm excited about this episode. I think it's an interesting subject that many of us run into. And we all have, as former VPs of sales, we've run into it. And I think we also, with the sales managers that we're having interviews with. So our topic today is, are you the chief revenue officer or are you the chief rescue officer? And Stephen, I'm going to have you kick off the conversation today because in our work, I know I've seen really competent, just unbelievably talented sales leaders still fall into that trap of rescuing their salespeople versus developing their salespeople. So I'd be curious to know, what have you observed with that type of behavior? That's a great question. From a personal perspective, I do coaching and I consider myself a professional coach. And even as a professional coach, I still want to jump in and rescue people, right? right? It's for all lifeguards. We, we want to help. And you asked me about sales managers. If you're really focused on the sale, then the tendency is we want to be a rescue officer. If it's going down the wrong direction, mm -hmm. then there's a natural tendency to want to jump in. And that's a trap. I think there's several reasons why even the most competent manager, the best coaches still fall into that trap, even though they know they shouldn't be doing it, they'll do it. And one of the things is we all want to be chief problem solvers, right? We all want to solve other people's problems. So the tendency to jump in and fix the problem as opposed to have the individual learn is an easy thing to do, especially when we're under the pressure of a sale. Yeah. Many of them, okay, you want to say something. I'm yeah, No, here's what strikes me is that they probably got promoted because they're good problem solvers, right? And as a salesperson, your clients love it if you do the consulting, but you actually come up with a problem for their solution. So you're almost having to take that skill and realize it's an Achilles heel for you, possibly. There's plenty of time. Well, the nice thing is in sales, we're not dealing in heart surgery where it's life or death, right? If a surgeon's teaching someone and they're, they're about to make a mistake, you want to jump. If, Absolutely. In sales, there's always a time to recover and to learn. And really the goal of the sales leader is to create self-managing people. And some other reasons why sometimes we don't want to have, if it's about accountability, sometimes we don't want to have those difficult conversations with people that, hey, you're missing. They're uncomfortable and many will just help them out. And one of the, the biggest challenges, and even though we may know, many managers just don't have great training in being a coach and understanding their role is not necessarily to be the best salespeople, but to help salespeople get better. I know some of it comes from an area of your expertise where even the most self-aware managers, because it takes a lot of self-awareness, it still affects their ability to develop versus rescue. So maybe you'd explain to, to our audience why. I'm glad you used the word self-awareness because really in the world of emotional intelligence, Stephen, that is the mega skill. There's many that we talk about and work with uh, sales teams. I always like to say that what you're not aware of, you cannot change, right? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And so you're going to, and that what you're not aware of, you're bound to repeat. And so for sales managers, having the awareness of, first of all, that they are rescuing and why. So for some people, they're rescuing because there's a payoff. It's called yeah. the psychological term. And right. the payoff is 
I get to be the hero or heroine. There's a little bit of a dopamine bump there. And so you've got to recognize that. And then the second one is sometimes you have to take a humility pill because the fact is maybe you have not spent enough time coaching your teams. Now, to your point, they haven't been taught coaching skills. I know when I got into sales management, I was a naturally pretty good teacher. I was not a coach. So I was always teaching, teaching, but I never was coaching to see if the information landed. Could the salesperson recall it? Could they recall it under a pressure point? And so the humility and self-awareness was, I'm doing a lot of telling here, but I'm not doing any coaching. And therefore, I don't even know if my salesperson can demonstrate the right selling behaviors on this upcoming call. So that might be getting out of your comfort zone and investing about 50% of your time coaching your people. It's funny how that comes back to coaching, right? Because the big shift we do in coaching or the big mindset shift is moving from telling people what to do, asking effective questions and getting people to think. So it's interesting how that skill overlays in many areas, right? And the, are there any other reasons why self-awareness to me, when you're coaching someone, if they're not self-aware, you can't coach them. But as the coach, your level of self-awareness that you're coaching is critical. So that self-talk of, oh my God, I'm rescuing right now, or I'm telling right now, the alarm bell has to go off while you're in that call or trying to help someone out of a difficult spot. I think yeah, probably for our listeners or viewers today, they're probably thinking of a time where, listen, you two sales gurus, if I hadn't jumped in and rescued, we'd have lost a million dollar deal. We can always have these exceptions. And I want people to put those exceptions aside because there is a time where you've got somebody that's ramping up. Maybe they're selling a bigger enterprise sale. This is really when you're seeing this consistent pattern among yourself that you don't need to be jumping into rescue. So I want to set that context there. But great, see, yeah. I would say the other reason people rescue, at least from the emotional intelligence world, they have too much empathy. Mm. And so a lot of times they're not holding them accountable to learning the skills. So let's say they're a good trainer. They've spent the time coaching. But you've said this before. Performance is on the salesperson. So that salesperson simply isn't taking enough time to practice. Then the manager starts giving excuses. They're really busy. They got a lot on their plate. So too much empathy gets in the way of holding people accountable. Very interesting. And, and it's part of that, of course, is pressure of sales, yeah. uh, short-term versus long-term focus, because the role of the sales leader, I probably go on and on about this, reminding sales leaders, I say, what's your role? And the answer would be bringing in the numbers. Yes, it is. That's mission critical, but how are you going to do that? Bingo. I think that's a right down because oh, cool. say bring in the numbers. Why are you going to bring in the numbers if you don't develop people? But let's go back to something you said, because, and this will be a conversation. I'm sure we're going to have more than once as we're having this podcast, but this accountability, it still seems to be a theme and it doesn't matter if it's sales leadership, uh, operation leadership, holding people accountable seems to be one of the more difficult skills, let's say habits, emotional responses to develop. So what, what can sales leaders do? What, what are some of the hard skills or tangible skills that sales managers need to develop in order to hold their teams accountable? To me, I do a number of profiles and one of the key skills I look for in managers is not only drive, mm. but comfort with having difficult conversations. I, I teach five steps to doing that. Okay. Okay. One is 
If you believe it's a conflicting discussion, it is. Two, there's a high level of preparation. If you're going to have a difficult conversation, and most of us are not certainly comfortable. Most of us don't like to create conflict. Although sometimes in my younger days, that was fun, stirring a little. <laughs> but putting that aside, so prep, there's a direct correlation between how well you prepare to hold someone accountable or have that discussion and the outcome. And so I've got to stop you right there because okay. I knew it was coming. And I got to put the finger here. But here's what I think is interesting. When we get on our sales teams about pre-call planning, how many sales managers really spend the time on pre-call planning more of what we might coin as a difficult conversation? I don't think we're doing it. You raise an amazing point because I was going to share a story. Okay, please do. With a new group who actually you connected me to. And their three leaders are both coaches and they're players. Okay. And they're damn good players. These are the most successful salespeople in the organization. So they have no issue selling. What they forget is they're also a coach. That's a hard place to be. So I've been working Mm -hmm. with them on how they can help reps who are struggling because the reps don't sell as good as them. When I became a regional sales manager, I learned how good reps sell. Reps were better than me. I thought, oh my God, look at that technique. Right. I wish you used that, but then I can share it with others. So it, instead of jumping in, because when I have discussions and getting back to what's your role and how does a call go? And the answer I get is I have to rescue calls. I've heard it at least two times this week. So we'll talk about relevant topics. So we've created a very simple process. And because I asked them, I said, okay, do you present with a slide deck? Yes, the rep builds a slide deck. Do you review it and discuss it with the rep? Okay. Next, do you do a pre-call replay or pre-call play? Yes. Yes. Work it through. Do do you have them present to you? Do you role play it? Do do you ask what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? How is this working? So part of it, practice makes perfect, right? So if we just go into the call without any preparation, so the role manager can play in terms of rescuing is actually giving them the life preserver before they go in, right? And then observe. It's very hard to keep quiet. We all want to share, but their role in the call, if they've done a good job pre-call planning is seeing, are they hitting the goal? How is it going? And then's their time to rescue them, not on the call, but through post-call coaching, the debrief. Mm -hmm. And one of the easy things or mistakes that most managers make is they will tell the rep what worked well and what didn't. Perfect. Tell, so tell, 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 tell. And you know the approach, right? So I sound like an old man sometimes because I repeat myself constantly. And I always repeat self-evaluation before feedback. And I do it the same way that I did it now. I, only because it, it, let's remember, oh, I, yeah, I forget to do that. Okay. But somewhere through when we're telling, I, I know sometimes I go into tell mode like I'm doing right now. And, and oh yeah, I'm in tell mode. I got to switch back to ask. Right. Quite simply. Taking the time, you hit the nail on the head when you said pre-call planning. And if you want to help the rep and you want to train them and coach them and get them to be better, spend the time up front, spend the time after, but the time in the call is not the time to be the lifeguard. Yes, I'm getting this vision of man or woman running out to the ocean, but now here's what's... And they're swimming just fine, but you want to rescue them. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe they're having to do the breaststroke instead of whatever because they got tired or whatever. But you know what? I had to discover this, and it was quite a few years ago. I found that once managers, and I called it the pre-briefing, 
same term you're using, pre-briefing the call got a greater shift in behavior and success than actually debriefing. Now, it's not an end or. Right. Wow. That pre-briefing, because I would, you probably teach the same thing. You're testing again to see if they can recall the knowledge. And not to overuse some of these analogies that we always do, but whether you look at an athlete, an actor, a musician, we are the only profession that doesn't test to see if they can actually execute. So we just put them out in the playing field and then we're like, so disappointed. Oh, hello, people. I've had this discussion at least twice in the last week with managers and they get it. They do. It's not rocket science, right? And then do you do that? No, I'm going to start. So my job in terms of holding them accountable is next time we talk, how has it gone with trying this? Because there's two people who need to be rescued. One, the manager from himself or herself. Exactly. From their great selling skills and their desire to be the the savior or rescuer as opposed to the developer of people. And then the rep that we want to create self-managers, people who can go into the call and do a great job. And so that is, to me, that's classic knowing versus doing. And the gap is you got to take the time, slow down, prepare the person. I love your analogy uh, of athletes. Uh, How many times... Regardless, let's say it's football. They have a whole week that they practice for the three-hour game. Exactly. Right? They practice the plays. They practice execution. They look at what works. In some cases, still execution falls down. There's mistakes made in the field, but but they practice and practice. And I think you said something earlier. You just touched on it. But this goes back to belief systems. And if you truly believe that if you put in coaching time. Now you've got to be taught how to coach. And that's, and in fairness, that's what we talked about in a prior episode. Sales managers get set up to fail. They do not learn coaching skills. But let's say for the coaching skills, you've got to believe that putting in the time is going to earn you the reward of self-managing people. So if you're not doing something, what I've coached a lot of people on, sales managers, sales people, examine your belief system because you will do what you believe. And Mm. so you might somehow in your head think it's not worth the time putting in coaching time. So that might be working upstream as to why you're not doing the right sales manager's behaviors. So is there anything you want to add on the skills? And and we talk soft skills and we may have covered most of them that sales managers need to develop in order to to increase the the level of accountability and really start reducing that. I'm going to jump in and save this rep. Lifeguards, when you take a look at accountability, and it's a big topic, crucial conversations, et cetera, but just usually the soft skill that should be developed is assertiveness, which is the Uh, ability to state what you need nicely. Now, here's what can happen. Stephen, I don't know about you. I I know you. You're somebody that is coached, but I bet you that time when people give you feedback and you could get this emotional reaction. And then what we do is we get defensive, or even if we don't say anything, maybe our facial expression changes. 100%. For a manager, when they're stating what they need nicely and they do it the right way, here's the observable behavior, here's the impact, or they're just having the truth-telling conversation, a salesperson might push back. And that emotionally charges the manager. So then they either default to a passive-aggressive behavior where they go, let's just, let's talk about this in 10 weeks or 10 years. Or they get highly aggressive and then we, we're just do it. That need to be right. And so assertiveness is the key skill and emotion management ties in with that as well. But no, I'd also say 
take a best practice from when you were a sales rep. We're debriefing the salesperson on the call, which is great. And like you said, ask the questions versus tell them what they did right or wrong. But here's the self-awareness piece. Sit and think about when you got emotionally triggered and why to jump in and tell versus ask. So when you're sitting there looking at how you debrief the call, you've got to be aware of, ooh, what did the rep say, do, or not say or do that caused me to go into professional telling mode versus coaching mode? So you've got to look at your own triggers as far as why am I talking too much? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, that brings you to a whole different level of, of, of self-awareness. Yes, and there's certain things like I was really got pretty good at as, as a rep. If a prospect would say something that would get me to start moving into a verbal vomit. And so I literally had to spot the trigger because the only thing I can change is my response. I can't change the trigger. A prospect's going to say the same thing. And then I go into a verbal vomit. You've got the same thing going on in sales management. A rep might say something and you move into tell mode versus redirecting with a good coaching question based on the context. Mm-hmm. You are the expert on emotional intelligence. This, the Steve Rosen approach to the self-awareness and maybe it's only for our listeners who are somewhat more mature or aged. Is I, I use the example of the Flintstones. I, I apologize if you think it now. I hope they know who the Flintstones are. I always ask that question to you, so I, I can't ask, but hopefully you guys know. If not, Google it. There's a character called Kazoo, who's a, a little Martian, and he sits on, on Fred's shoulder. There's two of them there's the angel and there's the devil. <laughs> And to me, the self-awareness is because the devil kazoo tells the sales manager, just tell them what to do. (laughs) What a great visual. And and the angel wants to know, don't do that. Just ask them what they think, how they thought things went. And I use that imagery. 90% of people, even if they're younger, I think my kids remember the Flintstones. But to me, that's that self-awareness. It's not a high level of intelligence, but it's, it's just a cute visual to remind yourself that am I telling people what to do? we're having our self-talk or am I asking? Because we, we do the self-talk while we're coaching. We're doing the self-talk right now. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's my little, one of my little tricks for helping managers uh, I just, just get into that mode. I, I love that action item there. I would say an action item for managers, it, I guess it goes back to that self-awareness. And here's how you build self-awareness. The number one strategy, carving out quiet time. And so this is one that everybody goes, give me something more complicated. Give me something more sophisticated. Seriously, the only way you build self-awareness is to sit and think and then really try to do it without bias or judgment. And that might be where you have to go to somebody else for feedback, because just like reps need feedback, well, we as managers may need feedback if you can't figure out what the trigger point is, et cetera. But I would say to be more effective, and figuring out when you're rescuing versus developing, it's just sitting and thinking, do I have fear driving me? Do I want to be the hero or heroine? Do I have too much empathy going on? Do I really not like holding people accountable? So until you're aware of it, you can't change it. So that would be, that would be my piece of advice there. I think that's a great uh, action item. I actually really, sometimes I have my repertoire of things that I always share. And I really did take your advice here and, and thought about What's something actionable that the manager can do differently to help move that rep along and be better at presenting, at selling? And I talked about the pre-call, post-call. 
Well, the manager's not always with the rep, right? If they're lucky, they're out one day a month, if that's the case, or sitting in on one call a month. So having a journal where the rep does the same thing you just described in terms of self-reflection as to after each sales interaction, they write down before any feedback, or let's say it's a call, it's recorded. They write down what worked, what didn't work and why. Yes. Doing this practice for themselves to get better so they can become a self-coach or a self-manager or be more self-aware. And, you know, remember the goal is to create self, self-managing people. And, and to me, that's one action. I never did this. So this is not something to say, hey, I've done it. But I, I was thinking about it and thought, wouldn't that be great if reps actually after each call, now there's mentally debriefed, but re- took the time to write down, self-reflect and do that uh, in a way that they can improve their own selling skills. Yes. And I actually did this when I got into this business. And luckily, someone designed for me a checklist. And so what the checklist, it's a little bit more objective. Yours is the subjective and objective. And the objective was, did you ask this question? Did you cover this selling step and stage? And I have to tell you, Stephen, it was really interesting. I kept skipping over the money step in this business. Now, people listening are like, my prior business that I was in, we sent out catalogs before we went out on the sales call. Okay. So everybody knew the price point. And frankly, the budget conversation wasn't as big as it needs to be in this type of business. That only took me about five calls and I had to have the awareness of going, you're missing the budget step. But then the awareness came, okay, now that I know it, and then I was skipping it again, the awareness was you're not comfortable talking about money, not to the degree you should be. So that's where I had to focus my own self-coaching and get coaching on. So you're absolutely right. But I would do that. Part of it was I was working straight commission. I'm not getting any leads. So guess what? Evaluate really fast and figure out why am I not closing as much business as I should? So I think that is a great tool that everybody, journaling, checklist, whatever that is, but slow down to speed up. Time flies when you're having fun, right? And we do. It's been fun. A fun session, sharing some of the thoughts. So some great thoughts there. As we wrap up, what I feel is hopefully a, another insightful episode of the Sales Leadership Awakening podcast. We hope you've gathered some really cool strategies, some implementable ideas that can help you close the gap between what you know you should be doing and actually doing it. And if you found today's discussion on becoming the chief revenue officer as opposed to the chief rescue officer, please subscribe. This ensures you won't miss out on any future episodes, and we've got a lot of good ones coming. And we hopefully continue to awaken you with tools, suggestions, wisdom, some great guests coming as well to transform your sales leadership to become a great and highly aware and awakened sales leader. Colleen, it's been a pleasure and look forward to our next episode together. You bet. Thanks, Stephen.